If you're looking for a podcast to break down President Biden's State of the Union address. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. That That isn't this podcast. This is, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. First things first, allow me to apologize. Uh, I made a terrible joke last week, and in retrospect, I decided... Um, to edit it off the uh, episode. So if the uh, Hello, My Name is Doris episode sounds weird at the start, that's because of me editing out this very tasteless uh, and uh, uh, poorly thought out joke. So my apologies to anybody who was offended among the seven of you. Um... This is Comedy Tragedy Marriage. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com. My latest is a review for uh, Studio 666, starring the Foo Fighters, along with my thoughts on a couple of other films I've seen recently. Once again, you can see that at StanTheMovieMan.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at MovieManStan. You can follow the podcast at CTMarriage. And you can get in touch with us. You can send us an email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Joining me, as always, is the person for whom I would do anything. But um, not that. (laughs) Well. Sorry. I wasn't going to do a meatloaf tribute, but... Uh, and uh, would do it gladly. I would even do that. Oh my! So as soon as you figure out what that is, we'll 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 well we'll see. That is the eternal riddle. Exactly. Uh, as always, <laughs> I am joined by my other half, Maud the Calendar Broad, and it was her choice this week as to what we saw. Maud, why don't you tell us all about this week's movie? I am Maud the Calendar Broad because the movie that I chose for this week was Woman of the Year from 1942. Um, It's an American comedy slash drama um, directed by George Stevens um, starring Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn. Now, I wanted to see this for a very specific reason. Um, Several weeks back, we watched... Um, the last of Hepburn and Tracy's nine film collaborations, which was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, Spencer Tracy passed away just a few weeks after filming um, was completed on that one. Um, Woman of the Year from 1942 was their first of their nine film collaborations together. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see this. I wanted to see the beginnings of the epic love story that was um, Hepburn and Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, the film was written by Ring Lardner Jr. and Michael Kanan um, and produced by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, corrected, uh, corrected by, directed by George Stevens, starring, of course, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, also Faye Bainter, and Reginald Owen, which I'm not really sure why he is so far up in the credits because we see him for like two minutes in, uh, if in, that. in the very, very earliest part of the film. So mm-hmm. I'm like, 
where was he? Where was he? Um, but anyway, he, he's in there. Um, score by Franz Waxman, whose movie music scores I have always loved. Um, from the Wikipedia plot synopsis, um, I'm sort of paraphrasing here. Um, Catherine Hepburn plays Tess Harding. She is an international affairs um, politics writer. Her father was a diplomat. Um, she is chosen Woman of the Year late in the film. Um, she meets Sam Craig, who also works for the same newspaper, the um, fictional New York Chronicle, I think. Um, played by Spencer Tracy. Sam Craig is a sports writer. He is just kind of a regular Joe. And um, he, he hears her commenting on her regular radio show and she she can answer pretty much any question that's posed to her about world affairs um, but she can't she cannot answer a baseball question so he decides well I need to meet this woman and educate her so he decides to look her up at the paper and um, is immediately smitten and she appears to be immediately smitten back and um, hilarity and misunderstandings ensue. Um, in 1999, this movie was selected for preservation in the U.S. Um, in the National Film Registry um, by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, there are things about this film that I loved. I loved being able to look at the screen and see the precise moment that Spencer Tracy fell in love with Kath with Catherine Hepburn for real um, because I could see that look on his face. Were they not seeing each other prior to this movie? No, they met and uh, their involvement okay. um, blossomed during okay. the production of this film. Um, and I, I, there are just moments when you look in an actor's face and you can sense that they're not acting. And I could look at Spencer Tracy's black and white face with his mop of curly hair and his what appear to be blue eyes, even though it is black and white film, mm -hmm. and see the instant that he was completely gone. And it was beautiful. This is a beautifully shot, um, edited, costumed, written and acted black and white film. It's gorgeous. Um, it, it is beautiful and maddening at the same time because um, Catherine Hepburn playing this high-powered um, political pundit and journalist, um, she, is, she was raised by her aunt, um, played by Faye Bainter, her Aunt Ellen, and um, her Aunt Ellen was also a force in the world of women's liberation I guess so so you would call it the the word the word feminist movement was actually uttered in this film which I found a little bit surprising but I don't really know why because mm -hmm. what else would you call it mm -hmm. um, but they were talking about the um, women's right to vote which at that point had only been granted 22 years prior um, which still astounds me um, this film is is wonderful and forward thinking and yet backward thinking 
Um, and, and Stan is chuckling, so I please step in, Stan. Well, tell the, me what you think. The misogyny on display, especially early on when um, Spencer Tracy is sitting in the bar with his buddies uh, listening to Catherine Hepburn on the radio. Um, and there are some things that, you know, are mild jabs, relatively speaking, but are like, they need to stay in the kitchen, you know, don't send them to school. When they get educated, they, they get stupid or, or, you know, something along that line. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Spencer Tracy's character is, is a sports writer. He covers, you know, baseball, football, boxing, all boxing and all the rest of it. And, you know, she, you know, this is uh, during World War II. Yes, early. So there, you know, there's a concern about uh, making sure that our soldiers get all the supplies they need. And there was rationing of, of food and metal and rubber and anything else that could be turned into a weapon or that could feed uh, the troops. Mm -hmm. So uh, during this radio interview early on in the film, Catherine Hepburn talks about, well, maybe we need to cancel baseball because it seems like a waste of resources. Since and, we're at war. Since we're at war. And that did not make Spencer Tracy and his cronies very happy. Well, no. And, you know, the two have this sparring match via their columns back and forth um, <clears throat> before they ever meet each other. Mm -hmm. They're they're sniping at each other and you know and she can hold her own in a debate oh my gosh yes um and i kind of wish that part of it had gone on a bit longer yeah because you know when you know the first time they see each other spencer tracy just melts he wants to, he wants to go out whether he wants to be with her the instant they speak. Yeah. Um, and I would have liked a little more tension between their characters. Uh, what is it, Pat and Mike, where they're... Um, Adam's Rib is where they're lawyers. I think so. Pat and Mike is where I think she is Pat, I think. And she's an athlete, of some sort, sort of like a Babe Didricks and Zaharias. Like a tennis player or something? Golf, uh, something. tennis. Uh, I think she's, again, like Babe Didricks, and she did lots of different things. Um, and that film is just, and Adam's Rib, I think, are both filled with a lot more chemistry based on tension. Mm -hmm. uh, in this one, the tension goes away early, but is brought up again and again from a certain level of misogyny mm. because she's this high-powered, um, constantly on the go, much-in-demand woman. And, and he wants her to be, you know, a wife and a stay-at-home, as it turns out, mom when that prospect comes up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, he wants her to, to, to give up everything she's worked for and be a very traditional wife. But yet, there's an interesting role reversal 
that takes place here. She is so high-powered and so um, in demand and so accomplished and intelligent and brilliant. Um, she has a male secretary. That's an interesting little twist because I'm sure in 1942 this was not a common occurrence. Well, and he's a bit, shall we say, foppish. He's a, he, yeah, he is. Um, but that's not the only role reversal we have. We we see an interesting role reversal in that she sort of is the traditional career breadwinner male. And Spencer Tracy is relegated to the taking what's left um, sort of female-esque kind of role. I mean, like he asks her to marry him and they end up, he ends up acquiescing to a rushed wedding ceremony in South Carolina because that's the quickest place they can get it done. Doesn't and require a waiting period. It's not what he wanted, but he agreed to it for her mm -hmm. to to make the allowance that her career needed. Um, she makes a very unilateral, crazy decision. Yes, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, to adopt a little Greek refugee boy who looks to be maybe five years old um, because her, one of her women's organizations sponsors the organization that takes care of the little Greek refugee children and she said well it you know it seemed perfectly natural that I should take the first kid so she takes and it the, would make me look bad and if it we would took make, him back yeah it would make me look bad if we took him back mm -hmm. but she makes this decision on her own without consulting Spencer Tracy mm -hmm. to whom she is married already mm -hmm. um, and he's very excited about them having a child just not a ready-made one. Uh, yes, not and, and one that doesn't speak any English. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. Cute kid. Cute you know. kid, great kid. Um, she speaks Greek. She so speaks everything, apparently. She's, I think they said that she speaks like six different languages throughout the course of the film. Mm -hmm. The woman is a savant and a wonderkind and a mm -hmm. genius mm -hmm. and has had has had every possible advantage except learning oh I'm gonna hate myself for even saying this this way but but she's had every possible advantage except for learning how to be a woman well and I would like to soften that a Thank bit you. and say she's had every possible advantage except learning how to be a person with other people. That's true because she's kind of an entity rather right. than a human being. She's she's, you know, this force of nature that has one setting which is go um, and she knows practically everybody in the world. In the world. <laughs> Not that many people at home. Yeah. But Except, you know, uh, diplomats and the such. Fancy people. Uh, because that's how she was brought up. Um, and that's she been her went world. To, she went to school in Switzerland. Um, and France. And France. And, you know, she's she's not had anything like the kind of uh, upbringing that Spencer Tracy's character has. He's just a regular Joe. He's just an average guy who likes to sit in the bar with his buddies and listen to the game and bend an elbow. Um, 
and you know not they that, are not that he's not smart oh he's smart but he's different smart yeah well he's more common sense smart and she's more worldly smart yeah um and you know now in anything but this movie um they might be able to work it out in the real world if 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 there were two people anywhere close to this in the real world and very in this different yeah um well i mean this is a this is an old old theme going back as far as forever about mm-hmm. opposites attracting mm-hmm. and um you know how they work it out or don't work it out mm-hmm. well and in in reality, there would have to be give on both sides. Well, yeah. Uh, in this movie, and especially, and I, I, this is probably just the uh, social psychology of the time, you know, there was no way that Spencer Tracy's character was going to make the level of change in his life that to be with Catherine Hepburn's character required that it would require. He, um, he made way more than I would have expected. Temporarily. Temporarily. He moves into her apartment. Yes. Um, and because she's she is a grown up. Yes. And she is well established. Yes. And, and apparently quite wealthy. Well, and she's got one of those New York city apartments that is massive and it's a palatial estate it doesn't exist unless you're you know uh, crazy an, rich. an oligarch or something but um you know but you know he moves into her apartment um another role reversal he's going to play along with the the kid um being brought in um, because I, I think he likes the kid, but you know, there, there, he gets pushed to a point where she's going to leave him, the child alone in the apartment to yeah to receive, to go to the banquet to receive her woman of the year award. I, I, and I, this movie does everything it can to make her. As a career woman, a driven career woman, look bad. From from yeah, you know, from pretty much ignoring him at the party where all the foreign diplomats are, and she's speaking every clump of person speaks a different language, and she's speaking that language to them, and there's nobody there except her that speaks English. Yeah, she's invited him over, and he's thinking it's just a one-on-one kind of thing, so he shows up with this huge box of roses, mm-hmm. and the maid opens the door, and it's like this sea of people, it's and he's like... Grand like, Central. Yeah, and he's like, oh, this is not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. So... So, but, you know, he... And... She didn't tell him that's what was going to happen. I think most people would say, look, I'm having some people over. Uh, a lot of, well, a lot of people. Yeah. And, uh, but she didn't say anything. She just invited him over to the apartment. I think she was cat and mouse in him a little. Well, and I think that's how her character is drawn through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. 
because she's just expecting him to accept her life wholesale. And to be satisfied with whatever she has left over exactly. to give him. Which Because she's constantly on a plane or on a train or in a meeting. Which or, again, this is the role reversal. Because in that era of time, that is what women were expected to do. Exactly. And in a lot of cultures today, women are still expected to do that. And... The but it makes it makes it look so much worse, though, when it's the woman mm -hmm. who is the expector, mm -hmm. rather than the man being the expector. And this at this time in, in society and in Hollywood movies, um, you know, they focused on the glamorous, but they also drew their characters um, in such a way so that they. It was clear who you were supposed to like and who you weren't supposed to like. Oh, yeah. The the white hats and the black hats. Right. And this movie makes Catherine Hepburn something of the villain. Yes. And not just because of this role reversal. Yeah. But but the extreme... Ex the, the extremes this character is drawn... I think it um, had to be that way, though, in order to get the social commentary across, or the satire across. Mm. I think it had to be that extreme. Well, uh, mm. and, and, and and I'm 1942 looking, audiences wouldn't have seen it the way that exactly, we see it now. Exactly, but looking back on it now, yeah, through 21st century eyes, um, granted. I was born in the 20th, but um, it's a it's a really sort of ugly depiction of a professional working woman mm -hmm. in the 1940s. Maybe that was as rare as this movie is trying to tell us it is within the reality of the film. I hope so. But... I mean, because this, obviously, this was not Rosie the Riveter. No. Um, and I'm sure there were uh, a lot of women. Well, actually, I'm not sure there were a lot of women who were in positions of authority and power. Um, to, the ex to the extent that Catherine Hepburn's character um, was. Oh, I'm sure, character there, was. I'm sure there weren't. Um, the I think the... Aside from characters within the film, the only other professional woman, if you will, who is mentioned is Eleanor Roosevelt, um, who acted as something of a diplomat. Oh yeah, going to uh, you know places in her husband's stead. Mm -hmm. They were still hiding that he was in a wheelchair. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's it's. It's confounding. It's that, and it's like there's there's some things in this movie that made me go ooh. Yeah, there were <laughs> yes, I had a lot of cringy moments here, uh -huh. um, where there there are a couple of speeches, um, moments of of monologue that are that ripped my heart out. One of them is where her. 
um, Aunt Ellen, who was her mother's sister, mm-hmm. is um, after years and years and years of them silently loving each other, um, her father and her mother's, her dead mother's, long dead mother's sister are getting married. Mm-hmm. And they do it in a very beautiful, simple, quiet, discreet manner. And we're seeing the officiant saying, you know, that marriage is an honorable esteem, an honorable estate not to be entered into lightly or ill-advisedly, but reverently, soberly, discreetly, and in their fear of God. And we see Catherine Hepburn with tears welling up in her eyes, shrinking down in her pew because she is comparing this sober, discreet, um, long thought about union, um, comparing it to the hurried, rushed way that she insisted she and Spencer Tracy's character get married because, mm-hmm. you know, she had things to do. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do this. Bing, bang, boom. You know, I love you. You love me. So let's just hurry up and get this part over with. So that's what they did. Um, well, and it's weird in thinking about it from that perspective that her father, that was when they could work in her father being there too. Yeah. Uh, because he's he's a diplomat he's and a he diplomat. was very busy. Yeah. But apparently, you know, for his own wedding, he could he could take the time. Well, I mean, granted, it's his wedding, and but still, there there wasn't there didn't appear to be any hurry. It wasn't like we scratched this in at the last second. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it, the the juxtaposition between the two weddings is is not just the couples and the speed with which, or the lack thereof, or the they enter into it exactly. Um, and again, I we don't really get any insight into her father's mindset here, except that we we can infer that he and. Um, Ellen have loved each other for a very long time and it just never was the right time for them to take the plunge so to speak and finally they decided that the plunge needed to happen. Well also I you know granted Catherine Hepburn's mom had been gone a long time Yes, but I think even you know, even now, eyebrows would be raised about um, the marrying the sister Sister-in-law. of your dead wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. You know, there I, were a lot of other eyebrow raising moments in this <laughs> film. So. That's true. That is one of the lesser ones. Um, my other moment of monologue that um that was cringy. Um, was where um, the speech is being given for um, her Woman of the Year award, and they're talking about how what she's what a well-rounded woman she is, and we've seen all through the course of the film that she's anything but. She is just this driven locomotive steamroller of an ambitious professional female who mm-hmm. doesn't really 
know what it's like to be fully human and who was ready to leave her little adopted non-English speaking Greek five-year-old alone in the apartment um, and have the elevator guy pop in on him a couple of times throughout the evening. Mm-hmm. Spencer Tracy actually opts to Puts stay at home with the him. child well, and to keep him from being alone. Yeah. And, and another pivotal plot point happens mm-hmm. while she's at the banquet and Spencer Tracy and the kid are left to their own devices. Right. Um, it's just, it was, the irony astounds. Um because she's being hailed as all of these things that we know are a sham. Well. As far as her being a well-rounded, well-rounded woman. I think people are making assumptions that she's this uh, incredibly intelligent, driven, um, you know, journalist and to some extent diplomat so the rest of her life must also be as exemplary a, a, as impressive as her professional life and she doesn't know really she, much about humaning at all uh, yeah it's not like she told people that you know everything was great and you know that she i don't think they ever did they ever tell anybody about the kid uh, at least they didn't do it on screen no but apparently it was um, publicized because when she comes back to the apartment and the press corps mm-hmm. has followed her there to do for the photo ops F- for the for the woman of the year for yes um, that they're you know they're like where's your husband where's your new adopted kid and you know and I don't they're not asking there. her about the kid I'm, I'm not saying they did I, may I just don't just, remember that. I may be inferring that mm-hmm. but um, it was like, you know, we're, we were supposed to be getting a photo op of this, you know, this beautiful family photo op, mm-hmm. and the family's not there. So, anyway. Yeah, it's a, there are things about the movie that just that really are, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Me too. Cringy and dated. Yeah, you know, the misogyny, the, um, the, the painting, the professional woman is the bad guy. Um, and her own actions, um, because the movie kind of, the script kind of makes her look like a bad guy just from what she, what her relationship with Spencer Tracy uh, goes, where she uses him as a ride to the airport. You know, she, I mean, they have a couple of nice evenings out, uh, one where they get drunk at that bar yeah and it's implied that they're going to go back to the apartment and have sex but he leaves because and he tells her later you're the only woman that i would have Walked left out on uh at that time because i want because, to marry you yes i want i want i want us to have a life together not just a fling and i don't know there's there's just things about this movie that that i was like and i know it's what 80 years old Mm -hmm. um so a lot has changed um but you know i wouldn't watch birth of a nation and go well that was the time um you know with the blackface and the and the and all of all of the 
racism in that film. So it's it's not that it's hard to watch. It's an enjoyable, entertaining film. But there's just things about it that through uh, a modern lens just just come off as very unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Okay. Should we take a moment and take a breath? Take a breath. Consider our lives. Uh, perhaps uh, meditate for a moment. Consider our own roles Center in our Center our chi. Get our zen uh, adjusted, all the things. Open our third eye. Yeah, yeah we'll be right back okay. after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We have we have uh, focused our energies. We've gotten a little acupuncture. Uh, we have... Somebody uh, stabbed you with a needle while I was gone? We have unblocked our uh, various chakras. And we are ready to discuss uh, our feelings even more about the 1942 film starring Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn, Woman of the Year. Tell me, Maud, from a place of peace and calm, tell me, what rating do you give Woman of the Year? I can't rate it from a place of peace and calm. Oh? I have to rate it from a place of angst and conflict. Oh. Um, it's gorgeous. Seeing the legit, for real, on-screen chemistry between these two human beings develop was worth the watch. Um, the cringy social aspects and the dated um, socio-political stuff and um, the the weird, twisty role reversals. Um, I there were a lot of things about this film that really bugged me. So I am going to give it three and a half feminists. <laughs> um, yeah, seeing this pair um, initiating both their on-screen and off-screen uh, relationship um, in the film is... Knowing what we know is, I mean, granted, we're reading a lot into the various looks and, and like, there's a, he kisses her, I think the first time, I think at the airport, um, where he puts his hand on the back of her head and, and then they half turn. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that was hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are scenes in her apartment where they're just shown in silhouette. Mm -hmm. And those are beautifully shot and mm -hmm. very effective. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you're writing. But, uh, yeah, it's hard not to bring this, knock this film down a peg or two because... It's so cringy. It's because it's so dated. Uh, I give it three feminists. I mean, okay. it's it's... It has some appealing people in it. Uh, some there is some funny bits in oh, it. Oh yeah! Uh, if you can turn off your revulsion for a moment or two, it's uh, it's a piece of uh, light romantic comedy um, and cinematic history. And, it yes, is. and cinematic history with some powerhouses both in front of and behind the camera. William Bendix has a remarkably funny turn as a former boxer named Pinky who <laughs> is just, um, he's just fun. He Well, and I think, I don't know if, if they did for sure, but Sylvester Stallone does a similar thing 
in uh, I think the movie is called Rocky Balboa. Um, it's the sixth Rocky movie where he's he runs a restaurant and he entertains uh, guests with, with fight stories. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's where he got that, but that's Pinky's thing. He he tells the stories of this one particular fight, and he's told it so often. Everybody knows. Everybody it by knows heart. it by now. Um, and uh, yeah, William Bendix is is pretty uh, stellar as the boxer Pinky. Yeah, three three stars for me. It's just it's just hard to look at it uh, without going to you a few times. There are cringy moments. There just are. Yeah, and that's the that's the best adjective I can come up with. What pray tell have you been watching? Gosh, um, not a whole lot of anything. I, um, you said you finished your book. I did. I finished Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Um, I enjoyed it tremendously. If you like to read books, um, this is one that I can recommend. It was, um, it was an enjoyable read. Um, aspects of her writing reminded me both of Rebecca Wills of the Yaya series of books and also of Pat Conroy, who um, writes, sets beautiful scenes of the South Carolina low country. Um, well, this one takes place in the marshes of North Carolina. So there's a lot of similar sort of um, descriptive, descriptive language about the land. Mm -hmm. So it was a very good story. I enjoyed it. And um, been watching more of classic 1993 Animaniacs. We've just finished several Christmas episodes in a yes. row, which is just so tender. <laughs> just really, really sweet and love them. And I mean, like, I'm sure I've watched other stuff, but I haven't paid enough attention to it to, you know, remember. So what have we watched together? Well, we watched... Um, um, a documentary called Secrets of the Salisbury Poisonings. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was twisty. About uh, a former Russian spy and his daughter being poisoned uh, by a a particular nerve agent um, in like a small town called Salisbury in 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 England. England. Uh, and they were found sitting on a bench sort of laying over on each other and foaming at the mouth and um, turns out that uh, he is a former uh, double agent uh, he was um, at uh, in, in Russia but he was also he was a spy for Russia but he was also spying for MI6 um, and once he got caught um, and was in a Russian prison for a time and they sent him in a spy exchange uh, to Great Britain and his daughter was visiting him and they fell ill and, and both of them nearly died. Yeah. Um, and while they interview her, uh, the daughter, in the documentary, uh, he disappeared. When he was released from the hospital, uh, he clearly was relocated by MI6. Yeah, like witness protection yeah. equivalent or something. As was she, but they, you know, at least they were able to talk to her, but she's under an assumed name. We know she's a alive somewhere. Yes. Uh, and it turned out Vladimir Putin, who does not take um, 
kindly to those who betray him uh, or what he who he feels what he him. feels is betrayal um, sent over several agents uh, to lace uh, his door handle of Scripple's home with this nerve agent and of course he grabbed the door handle with his bare hand as did the daughter and that's how they were poisoned a uh, police detective uh, who was fully kitted up in like a hazmat, hazmat suit gear, and yeah. like triple gloves also touched that same door handle before they realized what the deal where was, it what came the from yeah and he also fell ill and nearly died and nearly died but he he recovered fairly quickly because he didn't get as much of a dose as the scribbles did yeah uh novichok that is the name that's of the, the nerve name agent. of the nerve agent yes um and then three months later this uh guy who was sort of a dumpster diver um the british equivalent uh, found a sealed bottle of perfume in um, a in bin a, somewhere. Yeah, a rubbish bin. And uh, he took it home to his girlfriend. Um, they had some public housing that they had just gotten into. And um, he, the applicator, the spray uh, atomizer, was not attached to the bottle, so he attached it and he got some on his hands uh, and washed it off. And then he gave it to his girlfriend, who sprayed some on her wrists yeah. and rubbed them together. Like we do with perfume. And uh, they both got very sick, and she died. He recovered. Uh, and they ju they know that the um, spy, the, the Russian agents, dumped uh, this um, uh, second, what well, was likely a second... Uh, um, poisoning method in a bin, and uh, because I guess they felt they didn't need it, yeah. And then they left the country. It's a fascinating look at international non diplomacy and espionage, uh, yeah, and the levels to which um, the crazy guy in Moscow will get back at his enemies, which I think should give us pause. Considering what's going what's on right going now on in, Ukraine. in Ukraine, and apparently uh, there are supply line issues with the, his troops trying to get into Kiev, and um, they're not moving, and one wonders what extreme measure he might take in order to not um, lose this fight. And I worry greatly about the safety of the world with that nut job having access to nuclear weapons. Um, quick side note. Mm -hmm. If you pray, do. Yes. If you don't pray, do whatever it is that you do, do. So, yeah. It's, even without the whole Ukraine issue, uh, Secrets of the Salisbury Poisonings on Discovery Plus is a fascinating documentary. It really was. I was riveted from beginning to end. I was too. There's a lot of, um, there's not that much recreation going on. Um, 
A lot of it is either CCTV footage or television news footage. Um, they talk to some of the hospital staff who treat these poisoning patients. Mm -hmm. um, there's this one do uh, doctor who just will break your heart because yeah. he was so invested in their recovery. And um, he gets broken up now talking about it. And it happened in 18, 2018. 18. I thought it was 17, but I think it was 2018. 18, yeah, several years ago. Um, and we we hear from the man who gave the perfume to his girlfriend and who's having to deal with that he talks he talks about the guilt that he carries mm -hmm. um we hear from the police detective sergeant who also ended up in critical condition in the hospital mm -hmm. we um, hear from a russian correspondent for british news yes um, so there's a lot of people that we hear from who were on the scene at the time. It's and not a lot of dramatic recreation, as you say. And they also go through the disinformation, the, the flat oh out my gosh, yes. BS that was being uh, shoveled from Russia through social media and like comments on message boards about how the British had actually been the ones who poisoned Scripple. It's like, for what purpose? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Definitely worth a watch. Secrets of the Salisbury Poisonings on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, we've been watching the new season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Oh my gosh! How much do we love Mrs. Maisel? Okay. After waiting what felt like an interminable amount of time for um, the current season. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon Prime um, is dropping it two episodes at a time. Mm -hmm. And so far we have the first four episodes of this season and the the quick back and forth patter and dialogue is just as snappy and sharp and fast paced as it has ever been. Um, in one of the recent episodes, um, either three or four, um, they they pay tribute to a cast member who actually passed away and they wrote his character's death into um into the the history of the show the plot line of the mm. show um and alex borstein as Susie meyerson um gives a very angry heartfelt beautiful eulogy that will be her Emmy nomination clip this year. It should year. be. It should be. And if it's not, then shame on y'all. <laughs> because it absolutely, for a comedy um, that is as funny as this is, I was over here crying like a girl. And I said out loud as we watched it, I'm like, Susie's killing me with this speech. And she did, and it was beautiful. Um, so, yes, highly recommend The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It is marvelous indeed. Mm -hmm. We've also been watching um, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. As uh, we're trying to figure out um, the mystery of Species 10C mm. and their um, strange uh, dark matter anomaly. The DMA. The DMA. Um, I think it's Q. Hmm? I think it's Q. No, I don't think it's not Q. You don't think Q's well, up to all this mischief? Q's in the next season of Picard that is starting this week. 
So I don't think they would put Q in both things. We can't cross promote with Q. And well, and Q would not rely on a machine. Mm. He would just snap his fingers, and bad things would happen. As Uh, he's always. Plus, he likes to focus on individuals. Well, I should say Q likes to focus on individuals. Yes. So anyway, anyway. it's not Q. Uh, It'll probably be somewhat anticlimactic once we get to. Uh, species 10C, but um, we have gone through the galactic barrier, and we are on the other side, and we're in intergalactic space, which is rare for these shows. So, anyways, uh, that's that's something we're watching on uh, Paramount Plus. We are continuing to plow through old Columbos. Yes. Uh, he still does not find any real evidence. Um, and violates the Constitution on two or three different occasions in each episode. But still, it's I enjoy watching it. We still it. love him. And Peter Falk is uh, amazing. I, I wish, you know, he was still around and I, you know. To still do the things. To still do the things. So uh, that is on Peacock, but it's also on Tubi. It's also on IMDb uh, through Amazon Prime. So You can find him several places. Yes. Um, and finally, uh, on a much, much, much lighter note, uh, the My Pack Life on Discovery Plus. Oh my gosh, this, the animals! Uh, this guy who was like, you know, some sort of Wall Street stocks and bonds guy, I think. Is that what he was? I, I don't remember. I don't know. Apparently he made a ton of money. He must have. Or money. he was a venture capitalist. I, I forget which. Anyway. His name's Lee Asher. Thank you. Lee Asher, uh, gave up his corporate life, bought a place out in Oregon, Oregon uh, and goes across the country rescuing unwanted animals. He's got like a dozen dogs. Oh, well, more than a dozen dogs. He's got like 27 dogs, I think. I don't think there's that many. There's a crap ton of dogs. There's a crap ton of dogs. There's like three or four pigs. There are llamas and, and alpaca. alpaca. Um, several goats, um, horse, horses, he two donkeys. He's got donkeys. Two donkeys. I don't think he has the horse yet because he doesn't have a place where he can keep yeah. it. But he plans on getting it. And a partridge in a pear tree. Exactly. Um, and this guy is pure positivity. It's, it's annoying. He's an. It's annoying how positive he is. Well, and he's beautiful too. So uh, he's he's. An attractive man, um, and uh, he's got he's got all these animals. He considers them his uh, his children. Um, he he's not married or has a significant other, or that person is choosing not to be a part of the show. That I could know. be it. He has a partner in the Enterprise whose name is Sonia, but we right. don't get they're not what their relationship is or isn't. It doesn't appear that they are uh, romantically, romantically involved. involved. Uh, and he's got a few other people who help him out on the farm. Um, and he takes, and it's a huge, apparently, plot of land that's got rivers and access to, or creeks, rather, and access to a river. Um, and a lot of land for him to take the dogs and anything else that will go with willingly with him uh, to run through the woods. Um, and it's... It's it's just you know it's fun 
and silly at times, but also very sweet because, uh, like, when he rescued the two baby goats, um, one of them just laid on his chest while he was scratching on it, like... I'm your baby. Yes. You're my dad. You're you're nice and warm and safe. So I don't. I'll do this. Um. And it's it it's it's just a sweet show that's you know helps you forget everything else going on in the world and and the the love and devotion that he has for these animals. Hopefully, isn't an act. Um. And he's, you know, he's um, he's a breath of fresh air, especially with what's going on now. And the animals are so cute. They are very, very cute. The dogs range in size from a teeny tiny Chihuahua and a teeny tiny Pomeranian all the way to Sarge, who is a massive Great Dane who is recently rescued. And um, Sarge is starting to come around Mm -hmm. to life in the pack and, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to feel part of the family. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just beautiful, life-affirming television, Um, which you would think would be an oxymoron, but in this case is not. He's got a um, a chocolate lab-looking dog named Bo. Bobo, yeah. That... um, has been leader of the pack, but he's getting older, and the other dogs are um, the other dogs of about his size are Ascending. challenging him yeah. for leadership of the pack. So he takes Bo by himself out to the river and puts him on a paddleboard, and they have a big time, and they play fetch, and you know all this stuff. And he, it's very touching how much he seems to truly love these animals, and. If you doom scroll on social media all day or you spend a lot of time watching the news, give yourself a brain break and watch My Pack Life on Discovery+. Plus. Yeah. All right. So next week it's your turn to pick the movie. It Do is you have my any turn. idea? Um, I have a few things bouncing around. Okay. Uh, I think it'll be a comedy. Okay. Um, it could be a raunchy comedy. Okay. So we'll we'll see, and then I may change my mind, and it'll be some sort of slasher movie. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. Eh, whatever. You've 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 subjected me to a couple of things that are I have have been objectionable. So I, you know. Yes. Well, you know, I try to I I try to open the doors to your you know get broaden your experience. Get a little air circulating in the windmills of my mind. Sure, we can say that. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I don't want anything that's going to completely disturb you, but, uh, you know, challenge every now and then doesn't hurt. Challenge is wonderful. We are recording this on the night of Mardi Gras slash Fat Tuesday. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. I'm going to sing in a service and get my ashes and be smirched and um, try to figure out what my Lenten disciplines are going to be and um, try to redeem the time and be contemplative and productive. Well, that's very good of you. You're a far better person than I. No, I'm not. I'm just different. So if you are a person who observes Lent, 
Um, I welcome your thoughts about your own Lenten practices. Please, you can include those in your emails to us. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so. What a segue! Thank you. Simply by uh, sending us an email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. Not only your plans for Lent, but also if you have a suggestion for something that you would like for us to watch, um, and you can send us that information, um, what it is you want us to watch, where we can find it, and why you think we should watch it. Once again, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at MovieManStan. You can follow the podcast, at CT Marriage. You can't follow Maude anywhere, because she'd be really upset if there was somebody behind her. So, um, you know, that's, that's about it. Pretty much. Uh, oh, and you can also leave us a voice message. Just uh, click the link in the description of this episode. So, uh, next week is my turn, and it'll be a surprise for everybody. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, love you. Love you. And until next time. Later! later.